All right, take your Bibles if you would. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we'll read a familiar text. We kind of mentioned it this morning. We've kind of been in a little theme of, of the Word of God and hearing the Word of God, loving the Word of God. And so um, I just find it interesting as we move through this how the Lord's been orchestrating these messages to overlap just a little bit. And uh, so that's great. It's always good when God leads that way. And uh, James chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 19, and we'll read down through verse 27. So once you find your place, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll have prayer, and then begin reading in verse 19. So let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight, how we thank you for the privilege to come back again, to fellowship, Lord, a second time, and uh, to glean a little extra from your Word. We think of this opportunity to get a little more. Lord, it reminds us of those handfuls of purpose that you dropped for Ruth as she was gleaning in the fields. And Lord, tonight as we come back to glean, I pray you just give us a little more, that you just speak to our hearts once again, that you'll just use your word in our lives to give us that instruction, that guidance, that direction, Lord, that we so often need. And Lord, we just ask you now to do your work in our hearts. Bless the reading of your word. Be our teacher and guide. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says there, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, He, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted, from the world. It's a great text, a familiar text. And I want to preach on this thought tonight that James gives us challenged but not changed. Challenged but not changed. Thank you, you may be seated. Have you ever seen something undesirable about yourself in the mirror? Perhaps first thing in the morning, right? This is the kind of thing that James is using as an illustration about the Word of God. He's he's insinuating that God's Word can be a mirror, and it often does reflect back and show us things about ourself. When you saw that in the mirror, how did you react to what you saw? (laughs) No doubt you went to work to beautify your condition, to change whatever that was about yourself, brush your hair or you know, uh, get something off of your face or whatever the case may be. Yet in these verses, 
James is illustrating, he's describing a man who saw himself and saw those undesirables in the mirror, but made no attempt to change what he saw. Although he was challenged by his appearance, he turned and went his way, forgetting his present condition. And so by this illustration, James is, is giving us the picture of a man who was challenged, but not changed. He didn't do anything about what he saw in the mirror. Now, we've all, we've all seen that guy walking around somewhere, I'm sure. And, and we all know what that looks like. You know, the, the problem is we can have the same thing occur spiritually. Don't you know that people who walk with the Lord can see the things in our life that are out of place? The things that we sometimes neglect and, and may, on occasions like this, make no effort to fix. James is telling us that God is faithful And he will use his word to challenge us and he will show us, he will reveal to us things that we need to do to improve, to grow, to learn, and to change. God will challenge us. Hey, that's for sure. Romans 8.28 is in the book, right? And God even uses what we consider to be the bad or the negative things in our life to challenge us and to change our course and to shape us into the people that he would have us to be. James is describing someone here who's been challenged. And I guarantee, if you've been in church any length of time, if you've been saved any length of time, you have been challenged as well. Challenged by the Word of God to step up, challenged to become, challenged to change. So James gives us a few areas where that challenging uh, may come from or may occur. Notice, if you will, first of all, He's telling us about a man who's been challenged to be. Challenged to be something. The Bible tells us um, that we are having this challenge in our life. We know this to be true, first of all, because verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word. Circle the word be right there. James is telling us that we need to be something. We need to be someone We need to be the kind of Christian that that steps up, that takes action on what we see in that mirror, that reflection that God shows us. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. As a matter of fact, let's turn over there. Just hold your place in James and let's just look at this verse together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We find that the Word of God is full of verses like this that tell us about God's intention to do a work in our lives. And that work requires some challenging. That work requires some changing. So don't get too comfortable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, notice verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Isn't that something? We've heard songs about it. We've, we've read verses about it. We've no doubt heard sermons and Sunday school lessons about it. The reality is, Brother James is reminding us that you and I, at different times in our Christian lives, we're being challenged by the Word of God, challenged by the will of God to be the person that God wants us to be. 
So here's this man who looked in the mirror and he was challenged by that image. There was something there that, that obviously needed attention, needed to change. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? It says there's a change. The old things are passed away. All things are become new. There are some changes to be made. And some of those God makes for us. And some of those we need to work on ourselves. And James is showing us one of those that we need to work on by this illustration of looking in the mirror. There are some things that God wants you to be at work about in your life. The Bible talks about challenges. We're challenged to be appropriate in our appearance. We're challenged to be godly in our lifestyle. We're challenged to be upright in our character. We're challenged to be Christ-like in our attitude. You know, these aren't all easy changes to make. Some of them require a great deal of work again and again and again, practicing, struggling, working, trying to get it just right. But the Bible is replete with instructions on what we are to do. Let's look at a few verses tonight. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Just back a few pages. Titus chapter 2, and then look with me at verse 12, if you will. Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. Let's back up and catch verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Think about that. What a challenge tonight this text gives. We are to uh, remembering God, the grace of God, and looking forward to his appearing. The Bible says we're to deny some things. We're to deny uh, ungodliness. We're to deny worldly lust. We're to live soberly and righteously and godly. And it says in this present world. Amen? That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to be what God wants us to be. So you and I then, it's required of us to step up to that challenge. And so in order to do that, we have to back up and catch some things from this morning's message, right? We have to, we have to learn the Word of God, and we have to, we have to remember the, what the Bible has taught us. We're going to have to ask some questions. What does the Bible say about this? And we're going to have to go find the answer so that we can put it into practice to be that godly influence and that godly person. This present world needs. Isn't it interesting? The Bible calls us to be, as Christians, we're to be salt and we're to be light. And, you know, light is a reflection. That's what you are, saved by Jesus Christ, right? Uh, We've been declared righteous and holy and all these things, wonderful things. But we're also to be salt. And salt is that flavor that comes from what you do, not just what you are. You know, and some people have the wrong idea. They think that what we are supplies everything to the world. Like like people are just supposed to behold us and then fall down, uh, you know, under conviction and and, and ask for salvation. Well, that's not how it works. That's why Jesus said, if the salt has lost its flavor, wherewith shall you season it? God, help us to be distinct to be different. God help us to be all that he's called us to be so that we can add that flavor, that little spice 
that the world is missing. You know, their, their interaction with us should cause them to become thirsty, to become interested in what God is doing in our life. They should want to know more. And you know, that'll only happen if you and I take the challenge seriously and kind of step up to what God has called us to be in our lives. Let's look at another verse. How about 1 Peter chapter 1? Go back the other way. 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look here at what Peter said about this same, this same concept. 1 Peter 1, let's look at verse 15 and 16 here. Verse 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Verse 16, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Why is that important? Because as Christians, we reflect, we represent Christ to the world. Hey, you know, the world, they only know about God what they see in us. Because we are the ambassadors, like Paul said. We're ambassadors for Christ. We represent Him. The problem is, sometimes we don't represent Him very well. And that happens mainly because we don't pay attention and we don't put the effort behind it to make sure that portrayal is accurate as it needs to be. May God help us to, to think about a little bit more about how we are representing Christ to the world. You know, sometimes we think of holiness and we think, well, that's for everybody else. Holiness, you know, that's the preacher and the missionary. You know, that's the Christian school teacher. And that's, you know, them people that sing in the choir. That's who that is. No, no, no. Holy. That's every born-again believer, every child of God. God in His Word right here, He's calling all of us to be holy. And why does he say we should be holy? Because he is holy. And because we represent him in this world, we can't do it properly unless we strive to be holy as well. Boy, that's a, that's a big challenge, isn't it? Challenged to be. And here God says, be holy. By the way, I, I can't help do this. It's all just so good, right? If you back up one verse, look at verse 14. He says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. In other words, once you get saved, you become obedient and you, be, you try to live out what God is giving you in His Word. And you don't go back and, and being like you used to live before you got saved. That's what he's talking about. Christians who live like they used to live before they got saved, they are disobedient. But he's saying when you, when you step up to the challenge and you, you put the effort in to try to be what God wants you to be, you're being an obedient child of God and you're trying to represent Him well and live a holy life in this world. That's what God's called you to do. Let's look at another verse. How about Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. And uh, let's, we can look at two verses there. How about verse 17 and then verse 23? All right, so verse 17, Colossians 3. Verse 17 says, And whatsoever you do in word or de deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So the Bible says as, as believers, God's Word is telling you, do everything you do 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whoa. Now, I understand, you know, read the Bible in his name, go to church in his name, invite someone to church in his name. Yeah, I understand that. But you mean, oh, wait a minute, preacher, you, you mean get dressed in his name? You mean, you mean like conversate? You mean like talk in his name? Man, you mean like watch TV in his name? And some would say, I didn't quit preaching and went to meddling right there. <laughs> but I mean, that's just, that's what the Bible says. That everything we do, we should do it in his name. Now, what does it mean to do it in Jesus' name? It means you do it as if he sent you to do it. Oh. Would God send you to wear that? To talk about those things? Would he send you to watch that on TV? You know, I'm afraid sometimes we just get busy living our lives and we don't give much thought to what God thinks about it. But we can't be the person God wants us to be without giving that kind of thought. Because we're supposed to do everything we do in Jesus' name. Wow, how are we doing? We have been challenged as believers to be who God wants us to be. And James said about this fellow that he looked in the mirror and then forgot and went, just went his way. He didn't try at all. He made no effort whatsoever. Hey, tonight, don't be that kind of Christian. Don't be a disobedient child of God, one who ignores all these verses and just goes on to live life however you please. No, let's live for the Lord. Let's do the things that please Him. Let's, let's do it in Jesus' name. Look at verse 23. He says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You know, this one's a little tough. It's a little challenging, again, because we've be, we, we got to step up for this one. But if you can ever get a hold of this, I'm telling you, you have freedom at work. Do everything you do. Do it heartily as to the Lord. You do every task as if you're doing it for Jesus himself. Forget that you have a boss at the company you work at. And you just act like your boss is Jesus. And everything you go to do during the week, everything you go to do at work, everything you do after work at home, everything on your little to-do list, do it as if you're doing it for Jesus. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. Number one, you'll be happier while you're doing it. Because you're doing it now for the Lord, not for somebody else. You know, we're always happier when we're doing things that we love or doing it for someone we love as opposed to someone we don't. And if you could just get it in your mind, understand that the Bible teaches that the child of God, we work for the Lord, not the company that, that prints our checks. God uses them to supply our need, but we work for Him. And when we understand that, it's liberating. I'm telling you, it's great. So you go to work and you start doing your best. That's what heartily means, right? Whatsoever you do, it says do it heartily. In other words, give your best at it. Remember, we quoted Bob Jones Sr. a couple of weeks ago when he said it's a sin to do less than your best. Well, this is the, one of the passages where he, where he gets that from the Bible, 
right? God says to do things heartily. Give your best at it as if you're doing it for the Lord. And I'll guarantee you, if you go to work doing that kind of thing, if you start checking off tasks off your to-do list with that kind of attitude, not only will you enjoy it more, but you'll have more satisfaction when it's done. Because you won't find yourself just doing good enough. When you walk away from something, it'll be good. And you'll be satisfied. There's another level of satisfaction that comes from a job well done. Something that you know, I gave my best at that. That's done, but it's done well. And we did it for the Lord. Hey, now, not only will those around you be happy, and I'm telling you, if you do it to make Jesus happy, then any boss on earth ought to be happy. Amen? And so... Not only have you made them happy, but now you've made the Lord happy too and laid up some treasure in heaven because now your motive is serving the Lord. Hey, how great that is. Let's look at a couple of more verses. How about Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5. We're just talking about what we're called to be. We said appropriate in our appearance, godly in our lifestyle, upright in our character, Christ-like in our attitude. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. This is the passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And you can't help but think about a person's attitude when you read these because you have to have the right spirit in order for the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in your life. Can I tell you something real quick? This is a side note. You can write this down or you can just listen. But you know, you have to understand that there's our spirit and then there's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only has liberty to work in our lives when our spirit is right and open. Don't underestimate the power of your spirit to serve God or, or to block what God's trying to do. That's why the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Right? Because, because when, the, when you sense the Spirit of the Lord, it's because... Your spirit has opened up. Your spirit has become right. And that has allowed room for the Holy Spirit to work through you. So the liberty is not the liberty for you to do whatever you want to do. The liberty is for the Holy Spirit to come through and, and work. That means there has to be an openness. Look, there's a reason why Elisha, remember in the Old Testament? Elisha was going to take up the mantle from Elijah, the prophet. And he got to follow him around. And Elijah said, hey... Uh, the Lord's fixing to take me home. He said, uh, is there anything you want before I leave? Isn't it interesting? Elisha said, hey, I, I, I do want something. He said, I want a double portion. He didn't say of the Holy Spirit. You know what? We all get the same portion of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13. We're sealed to the day of redemption. Nobody gets a double portion of the Holy Spirit. That's unbiblical. So when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. He came and dwelt you. He sealed you. But Elisha said to Elijah, he said, I want a double portion of thy spirit. He said, Elijah, I want to be like you. Now, wow, you got to stop and understand that there's, there's some humanity involved in this. But there's some intentionality here also on, on, both, on the part of both men. Elisha was saying, I want to be the kind of man that God can use. And he understood 
that part of that requires having the right spirit, having the right attitude. When we have the right spirit, not only do we receive the word of God and God's instructions better, not only are we more submissive and obedient to his will, but we actually cooperate with God better to portray those things in our life. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in because we give the Holy Spirit then complete freedom to work in our lives. And that's when he bears fruit, this fruit that we're about to read in Galatians chapter 5. So look with me at verse 22 and see what God wants to do in you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Those are the thorns that choke out the fruit of the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we live in the Spirit because we're saved and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, according to the book of Ephesians. And so if we live in the Spirit, he's saying now let us walk in the Spirit so that we can enjoy the fruits of His presence in our life. Now look, verse 22 does not say fruits with an S on the end. It's not a plural. It's fruit, singular. So I like to think of this as like a cluster of grapes. So you get one cluster, but look, there's several grapes on here. All of these come together. In other words, you can't say, well, well, I have the fruit of the Spirit. I have, I have one of those. <laughs> no. The fruit of the Spirit is all of those. You can't say, well, I have some of the fruit. No, no, no. All of that is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. So all of these are areas where you and I need to work to open ourselves to what God is doing and trying to do in our lives. So we need to have love. And we need to be able to love others. And we need to have compassion. That's where that comes from. We don't love people the way God loves us. We don't do that naturally. That's not, our flesh cannot do that. But God can. God can love people through us. And the Holy Spirit working in our lives can help us and enable us to love people like we've never loved before. Can, can love people that we're not capable of loving. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Well, we could talk all night about any of these or all of these. The point that I'm trying to make now is that they come as a package. They come together. And the Holy Spirit wants to do all of this in our lives. But the Bible also says that we're not to grieve the Spirit of God or quench the Spirit. You know what quench means? It means like a fire, like to put out. And you know, we can shut the door on the Holy Spirit and not allow Him to do this in our life. We can just turn that off. And that's what you don't want to do. Remember we talked about disobedient children of God living like, they, like before they got saved? Okay, that's, that's where we'll end up if we quench the Spirit in our life. But if we let Him work, He'll shape us and mold us into the people that He wants us to be. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Ephesians chapter 4, and then look at verses 31 and 32. Um, by the way, let's catch up. I, I just 
quoted this part of the verse, but verse 30 is where it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Wow. You know, you start thinking about that. You understand how God forgave you. You know, you, you, didn't, you didn't deserve to be forgiven. But God forgave you because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, God forgave you. And so the Bible says, on the same basis, by the same merit, because of what Jesus did, you forgive others. Hey, you can't do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you, there's some people that are going to affect you in such a way that you, you, you're not going to be able to let go of that without His help. You're going to need the Holy Spirit of God to produce some love and peace and joy in you in order for you to let go of some of that and forgive. Right? This is God calling us to be the people that He wants us to be and be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God, for, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know, James is talking about how we were challenged to be, but that's not the only thing. He said also in verse 22, be ye doers of the word. He's teaching us there that we were also challenged not only to be the person God wants us to be, but we need to do certain things. You know, sometimes people have this uh, confusion going on, like... Uh, they're thinking, well, should I focus on being or doing? And the answer is yes. Now, let me say this. You can do the things you ought to do and not necessarily be the person God wants you to be. Does that make sense? You know, because you can fake some things. You can outwardly go through certain actions and yet not inwardly possess the character that goes with that. But if you will focus on being who God wants you to be, then you can't help but do what God wants you to do. The emphasis is on being, and that's why we covered that first. Because first, we want to be the people. We want to become the person that God is calling us in His Word to be. And then as we do that, we will find ourselves doing what God wants us to do. Just know along the way, you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to be intentional about these things because as I said earlier, there are some things God's calling us to do that don't come natural to us. They don't go with the grain of our flesh. Matter of fact, they go against the grain. It's like a fish swimming up, up river. Uh, it's going to take some effort and some work for us to do what God wants us to do. The songwriter said, only what's done for Christ will last. Isn't that true? And uh, remember the quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. The only way to do that is to do what God wants us to do. So in verse 22, Brother James says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we need to be doers of the word. In order to do that, we have to learn it first. We learn what God's word says then we live it out. We actually do, we carry out the instructions God gives us. First, we read the Bible. We covered that this morning. 1 Timothy 1.13 is a good verse on that. Then second, we study the Bible. Does the Bible say that we should study it? Now this, this morning, I kind of stopped 
and I showed us how God said we should give attendance to reading, we should read the Bible. Tonight, let me add to that, and let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's, let's see what God says about studying. All right, so God says not only should we read the Bible, but we should study the Bible. And can I tell you this? Remember we said we're going to ask that question? As, as things come up, we're going to say, what does the Bible say about this? Well, that's going to lead you to study the Bible. And there's some things that you're not going to find out unless you study the Bible. Because you're not going to catch it as a casual reading. Uh, you'll see it here and there, but in order to put two and two together, you're going to have to study some things. By the way, remember the parables? Jesus taught the disciples this. It's a discipleship principle. Jesus said there's some things that are going to be kind of hidden from the masses. Some of those gold nuggets of truth, if you want to really find that, you're going to have to dig a little bit for it. Remember? He said not everybody's going to understand this. So let's look at what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So God said, you know, uh, you got to do the work of study. We're going to have to become a student of the word in order to live the Christian life the way God's called us to. And we're going to have to put in that time and that work, the effort to discover what God wants us to know in his word. We also need to meditate. We talked about reflection. And, and Wednesday night, remember, we've been go back, going back to Sunday's messages and, and thinking over them again and kind of sharing some conclusions about what we've learned. That's a good process. Look what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 1. The Bible tells us that that's a profitable exercise. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 The Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. It's the only time the word success is used in the Bible. And be assured, this verse is written with God's view and God's definition of success, not the world's. If you want to be successful in God's economy, then you're going to have to learn this word, this book. If you're going to be successful in God's eyes, then you're going to have to observe to do what he said. Remember this morning we talked about the Great Commission and how the third part is to teach people to do what this word says. Teaching them to observe. The word observe doesn't mean to look at. It means to obey, right? To live out, to put into practice. So that's what he's talking about. And here it's the same thing, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. You know, we're never going to get all this if we don't spend some time thinking and understanding and then applying it to our lives. We're to be doers of the word. And, and this morning we made the distinction that once we do that, we become doers of the work. Verse 25 of James chapter 1 makes that distinction. When James said, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. He's talking about the work of following the Lord, the work of the Christian life, the work of doing the will of God. It includes things like witnessing. It includes things like contending for the faith. Now, I say that. 
Uh, I know I'm speaking to independent Baptists tonight, so let me clarify. When we think about contending for the faith, that doesn't always mean fighting about it. Because, you know, we're eager to, man, we want to be in a good fight. We want to see a good one. Sometimes we just start one. But that's not what God uh, was really telling us to do. Now, it includes that. But, you know, if we'd spend more time promoting and striving for the gospel and for the work of God as we do fighting about it, we might actually get somewhere. That's what the idea is. A contender is, is, a, is a contestant. A contender is not always a boxer. A contender is just somebody who's a participant in the activity, in the race, whatever, whatever sport it is, and they are striving to win. You know, when the Bible tells us to contend for the faith, it means that you and I are to go to work, we're to roll up our sleeves, and, and we're, to, we're to contend for the faith. In other words, we are to strive for God's word to win, for God's word to be known. Contending for the faith. We want to promote the faith far and wide so that people everywhere know who Jesus Christ is and what he did for them. So do people see the faith in a, in a favorable light or in a shaded light? A lot of that has to do with how we portray it, doesn't it? And that's why the Bible says that we are the ones who are to be contending for the faith. We're striving to put the faith forward to the world. And, and we should do it in such a way that it's favorable and, and in a way that it wins. So how are we doing? What a challenging task, teaching and encouraging others. Lastly, let me just wrap up with this thought. Brother James is telling us we've been challenged to, to be and we've been challenged to do. Very important components. But ultimately what he's saying is this. We've been challenged to change. And we have to acknowledge that because change is not always comfortable. We have to understand what God is wanting to do in our life because God is wanting to change some things. The prophet Hosea said it like this in Hosea 10:12. He said, break up your fallow ground. He's talking about the ground of your heart. You know, in some previous messages, we were talking about uh, the parable of the sower and we're talking about the soil, the condition of the soil represented the condition of our hearts. And we're seeing that God is very interested in the condition of our heart. And, and the prophet Hosea said, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord. You know, that fallow ground, that's, that's the ground like by the wayside. It's, it's the ground that hadn't been used in a while, and it's getting kind of hard on top, and maybe got a little weeds growing through it. He said, hey, get in the plow and break that all up. Well, look, who's going to do that? The field isn't going to plow itself. And the, the crop doesn't plow the field. And the farmer has to be intentional. He has to do that on purpose. And the prophet Hosea said, you know, you and I, we're like that farmer. It's time to put the plow in. It's time to break up the ground. There's something that you and I have to do to prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. We've got to make sure that we're not too complacent, we're not too comfortable, we're not too settled in our ways because God wants to change some things. He said, plow it up. Plow it up, get it ready, break it loose. 
Because God wants to make some changes. Isn't that what James is saying in our text? In James chapter 1 and verse 23, he said, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He forgot to change. You know, God wants to change our thoughts. I'm going to give you a few verses to, to look up later. We're going to, we're not, for time's sake tonight, we're going to try to wrap this up. But Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 23, Paul said there, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then he talked about putting on the new man, and he described a little bit about that process and what that included. Hey, you know, God, God is in the business of changing the way we think. And then in Philippians 2, chapter 5, you know, the Bible says there, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and he goes on to describe the mindset of Christ. And we know it was a humble mind. It was the mind of a servant. It was the mind of obedience to the Father. And you know, you and I, that doesn't come natural to us. We have to be very on purpose, very intentional about changing our mindset in order to become and to think the way God wants us to think, to receive His Word and His will properly. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he, he gave us some guidelines, and He said, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, if you read that list in Philippians 4, 8, those aren't the kind of things we normally spend our time thinking about. We think about all the action and the drama and everything going on and you know, that's the kind of things that occupy our world and our mind. But God said, that's not the kind of stuff that I want occupying your mind all day. God wants to change our thoughts and the way we think. Why? Because God wants to change our ways. <clears throat> Was it Isaiah <coughs> that said, consider your ways? Have you ever thought about that? What about 2 Chronicles 7.14, the great revival passage where God said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then what did he say? Turn from their wicked ways. I think most Christians would say, Hey, Lord, what wicked ways? Maybe sometime we need to get along with God and ask God that question. Lord, what wicked ways do I need to turn from? The psalmist said, Lord, he said, search me and try my heart. And he said, know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. You know, maybe that's a good spiritual exercise for all of us. Maybe, maybe we need to spend some days before the Lord doing that. God wants to change our ways. Let's close with this passage. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Again, a very familiar passage, but it tells us that God is in the business of changing our thoughts so that he can change our ways. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, notice what Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, <coughs> holy, acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service.
And then he says, but be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove there means demonstrate. And you know what? You and I are not going to demonstrate the will of God in our life. We're not going to live out what we learn until first we learn it. Until our minds have been renewed with the scriptures. God uses his word to program our minds so that he can change our actions, our behavior, our very lives. He changes them for the better, by the way. And when we do what God wants us to do, we're always better off as a result. So, if you want this to be you, if you want to be the one who lives out and demonstrates the will of God, how how acceptable, how perfect it is, how wonderful it is, you have to not be conformed to the world. And in order to not be conformed with the world, you have to have your mind renewed. You have to change the way you think about some things. And that happens when we get in this book. You see, Brother James is talking about somebody who was challenged to change. And what did they do? He said, well, he went his way. And he forgot what manner of man he was. And you know, that's, that's what people are doing who don't take time to listen to the Lord. They don't take time to walk with God. They don't take time to get in this book. They don't live what they learn. You know what? They're just going their way. And they're forgetting what God has shown them. And they're forgetting... That in the flesh, we're not the manner of man God wants us to be. And we'll never produce that fruit of the Spirit that we read about unless we we allow God to do His work in us. But it requires change. We have to be willing to change. Amen? May God help us to be challenged and to change. Because only then can we really be the person God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight. How we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And we do pray, Lord, that you'll have your way in our hearts and lives. Lord, that you'd love us, that you'd teach us. Lord, that you will enable us to be intentional. Give us the the capacity, the character, the strength, the determination. Give us the will to be willing to change, to focus on the things that you've taught us so that we can become the person you want us to be and and then eventually do the things that you want us to do. We'll have to make some decisions. It'll have to be on purpose. This isn't going to happen by accident. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll lead us and guide us all the way. Help us make every decision, every step. And Lord, may we enjoy the wonders, the benefits, the joys of the Christian life, and the greatness of your presence along the way as you walk it with us. And Lord, may we truly see how wonderful it is 
all the wonderful things you told us about. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. If God's speaking to your heart tonight, if God's challenging you, would you answer the call? Would you slip out and find a place there and meet the Lord? You might want to ask God to help you make some of those changes. You might want to ask the Lord to help you. You might have to change your mind about a few things. But when God is working in your life, let me encourage you to always say yes to the Lord. You'll be glad you did.